morning. Glad you're here this morning. That's a clip from the movie Soul Surfer. My wife and I saw that movie on Friday. I, it's it's a really good uh, movie. And Hollywood lets pass. They figured out that we can show things to groups of people that will get them to go to the movies. <laughs> and so, so I was able to show that because they, they send these things to me. But um, I would encourage you to see it. Not This is not a commercial intended to be a commercial, but I would encourage you to see it. Just as it's it's a tremendous testimony about a family dealing with some some tragedy and the faith that they applied to their circumstances, and that's a clip obviously about perspective. And I showed it because we've been looking at uh, huge territory in terms of perspective in the message series that I'm wrapping up today. We've been looking at God's providence in our lives. And we looked at the first week that providence is from a Latin prefix and root, pro meaning before or in front of, and videre meaning to see. So the idea of providence is to see beforehand. And I've been talking about how helpful it is to know that God is watching he sees beforehand. God has a unique vantage point. He sees the end from the beginning. Now, that's, that's hard for us humans to believe. We, we can't do that. We're in the middle of things. We're close up dealing with the details of life, and we can't see the big picture. We, we don't know what the end is. It's hard for us humans who are limited to understand how that happens, how, how God's able to do that. It's hard to understand, but it's reasonable. And I talked about that in uh, the second message that you can get. If you weren't here, you can get it online at uh, churchandvalley.com and check it out. But in the second message of this series, uh, I talked about uh, how reasonable it is that God, since he made us, is outside of our world. He's outside of our box, so he sees things differently as a unique vantage point. That is very helpful to know. Especially since God is someone who loves us, he cares about us, and he wants us to get to know him and cooperate with him, and he wants to guide our lives to fulfill his purpose. He, he is watching and he's in control, and we get fortified. You know, they used, we, they used to say, eat your Wheaties, they, they for, you get fortified when you eat your Wheaties, you know. And that's, that's what happens when... We understand the truth about God, who he is, how much he loves us, how he's watching and in control. We get fortified. We get strengthened by that. So we've been talking about that. So far in the Providence series in week one, we looked at how our confidence grows every time we trust God to provide to fulfill his purpose for us. God provides exactly what we need to fulfill his purpose. A big part of Providence is Provision. God provides. He, he meets our needs. And trusting him gives us a solid footing when we're dealing with loss or the threat of loss. Very solid. Week two, we looked at how letting God be God is the way to deal with the things that we can't fix or change. God is the only real hope to respond in a constructive way to the things that we've messed up and can't fix and to the things that we just can't change. 
Maybe there are things that have come into our lives for apparently no reason to, that we can see humanly. And we, we have to turn to God uh, in order to respond constructively. Week three, last week, we looked at how in the middle of difficult circumstances, we need to remember that God is for us. He's on our side. Many times in the middle of difficult circumstances, we cringe in fear, waiting for God to stomp us. Because we don't know, we don't know his character. We don't realize that he is for us. He's on our side. So we shouldn't jump to the wrong conclusions in the middle of our circumstances. We shouldn't jump to the wrong conclusions, but we should hang on and wait to see the outcome that God brings. Today, in part four of the last, the last week of our series, we're going to look at how God's involvement in even the smallest details of our lives makes a difference. And, and since he is all-powerful, since he cares about us and is on our side, knowing him really helps as we deal with life, as we go through it. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that little things have major consequences. The littlest things can, can make a big difference in life, our lives. It can make a big difference in the course of history, really. Here's an old Proverbs, uh, proverb that says, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the kingdom was lost. And all from the want of a horseshoe nail. Small, tiny thing. Horse couldn't go to battle. They needed that horse in the battle. And it changed the course of history for that nation. That's an old proverb that, that shows how even the smallest things can change the course of history and can change the course of a person's life. I think back, looking back at my life, uh, I am grateful for meeting my wife. Seems like a small thing. I went to another college uh, in Texas, went to Baylor to begin with to play baseball and then transferred. And happened to, after I transferred at the college I transferred to, met my wife. And I'm really glad that that, that has changed the course of my life. And I'm really glad that she, she pushed through my lame way of introducing myself. Okay, she pushed through. She forgot about how, I know she probably remembers, but at least she let it go. Um, I'm grateful for that. You know, a lot of a lot of gals, this guy's a total dork. You know, what in the world? But this is a small thing. She pushed through it. I, I'm glad. We, we spoke to uh, Alex and I and, and Josh from OCC who planted the church in Riverside that we launched a few years ago. We spoke to a group of college students. And my my friend, Thad King, who actually was the guy who helped me get my feet on the ground knowing how to walk with God and begin to to do ministry and things. He was talking about how when he went to the college I attended, he was asking God to show him one guy, one guy that he could invest the things that he learned from a mentor of his. One guy. Oh, what if I wasn't the guy? My life would have been very, very different. The smallest thing, we happen to have a New Testament class together, and... That's how I met that. The smallest things make a big difference. I read one time my mom uh, 
spoke to a, a women's group here, a garden party, I think. And she shared her testimony, and she shared how um, she came to know Christ when she was 27 year, years old. I, I'd never thought of my mom not knowing Christ, not really walking with God. I'd always known her to walk with God. She shared about how she came to know God through her mother-in-law. And then I thought, I thought, wow, I had never considered that. What if she hadn't met my dad? You know, what if she wasn't sitting in a tree one day when he came to the house checking him out? You know, when she was 14. What if they, what if he never showed up at the house? The smallest things, the smallest details make a big difference. Looking back, I am grateful for, for how God has arranged all these things that have been a real blessing to me. Looking forward, it's easy to think about the what ifs and begin to really worry. What if this or that happens and I don't get the job I want? You know, many careers require a break, a break to get into. You, you need some help. What, what if I don't, what if it never happens? I've, I've wanted this. I've, I've dreamed about it. This is what I've wanted. What if I never meet the right person to marry? What, what if that never happens? What, what if I can't get into the school or the program that I want so that I can get into the career, so I even have a possibility of getting into the career that I want? What if I, these things don't happen and I have to settle? I just have to settle for something else, something I don't really want, something that's kind of second best in my book. What if the details of my life never come together so my hopes and dreams can materialize? What if I never get where I want to be? What if that doesn't happen? There is no human way possible that we can tie up all the details of our lives and make things come together. There is no human way possible. We cannot tie up those loose ends. We just can't do it. If God isn't paying attention... To the little things, life is completely out of control. And we're going to see how he pays attention. We can be encouraged because God is in the details. R.C. Sproul said, The doctrine of providence, which is what we've been looking at, the teaching, doctrine is another word for teaching, the teaching of providence declares that God's providential rule extends to all things great and small, from huge to the minute, the infinite to the infinitesimal. All, all things, the, the large and the small things. God is not a supreme clockmaker who designed the world, fashioned it like an intricate clock, wound it up, and then steps out of the picture to let it run by itself. He is still involved in the details. Today we're going to look at the story, the birth and the beginning, the very beginning of the story of Moses. Moses, And most of us know about him. Uh, fairly famous guy from the Old Testament and the Bible. Um, and we're going to pick up really where we left off last week. It won't, you won't be lost, but we looked at Jacob's life and um, how in the middle he drew the long, wrong conclusions. In the middle of his circumstances, drew some wrong conclusions that God was against him, but really God was working everything for him. And we're, we're going to pick up Jacob's children, whose name was changed to Israel because he 
long story, but he wrestled with an angel, and his name was Jacob, the supplanter. It was changed to Israel, which means he who struggles. That's what Israel means. And so his name was changed, so his people are referred to in, in the passages we're going to look at as the Israelites, because that became his name. But anyway, his children enjoyed privileged status in the land of Goshen because of Joseph's position, his favorite son, Jacob's favorite son, because of his position in Egypt as prime minister. They enjoyed privileged status. They, they just were taken care of. You know, I'm sure Jacob went around, you know, my boy Joseph, he's like the prime minister. <laughs> you know, all the brothers are like, I'm glad he let us live. And, and you know, our brother Joseph, he's, he's the guy that runs this place. He's, he's the man. You know, he's the guy. But what happens in the story we're looking at, the heart of the king turns against the Israelites. They, they had experienced privilege, and they were well taken care of. But this is what happens, verse 8, chapter 1. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Jacob's descendants are living the dream in the land of Goshen. They are living the dream. And then someone comes to power who forgets about Joseph. And there's a lesson here, just in this part of the story. There's a lesson for us. We have to be careful not to put our confidence in the people over us to take care of us. If we do, then many times we are sorely disappointed. When you put your confidence in people, things change. People forget. Leaders shift their focus and their agenda. We become a threat to them, and they turn against us. Whatever it is, we cannot put our trust in people to take care of us. Learning to walk with God means trusting Him to come through in spite of what people are doing or not doing on our behalf. We trust God. The Bible warns against trusting in people and things over over God, over it's one of the themes you see is trust in Him. Don't don't trust in people. He will take care of you. He will come through. So the story goes on. So this is what Pharaoh did. This was his plan. They put slave masters over them, over the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor. And they built they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And when you see what's going on in modern Egypt, they had a good reason. <laughs> a lot of people can turn and overthrow a government. This, this can happen. They began to get concerned. They dreaded the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Pharaoh gets threatened by the sheer numbers of the Israelites, and he realizes the situation. God's promise, by the way, is coming true. He's been promising. These are Abraham's descendants. First week, we looked at Abraham and how God uh, promised to multiply his descendants 
as many as the stars that there are just to, to multiply and grow his, his uh, legacy. Anyway, the pharaohs concerned, threatened by the sheer numbers, so he concocts a plan, another plan to deal with the threat. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were uh, Shifra and Pua, when, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. The midwives choose a courageous act of civil disobedience. They're not going to do. God had forbidden them to kill the babies, obviously, so they, they chose to disobey the government over them. This, this is time to disobey the government when they tell you to do something God uh, that is against God's way. So God honors this, says the king of Egypt, summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh. They came up with a story. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. <laughs> so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So Pharaoh steps up his plan. This is what's going on. He's trying to s- slow down the growth of the people, the Israelites that are a part of his slave labor force. He, he steps up his plan. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every boy that is born to you, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So there it is. This is the situation into which Moses was born. He, he wasn't supposed to live past day one. When he was born, chuck him into the Nile. Day one was all he was supposed to get. This is the, the, the environment, the cultural environment, the circumstances into which he was born. And here are the, the specific circumstances that took place when Moses was born. This is his birth. Now, a man of the house of Levi uh, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, She hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for uh, him and coated it with tar and pitch. So she gets a basket. She she puts some tar and pitch on the bottom of it, hoping it will float. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Moses is born. His mother keeps him as long as possible. You know, little brand new born babies, they don't cry very loud. They don't make really very much noise. Easier to keep them quiet. But as soon as he hits about three months, she realizes he's going to be discovered if I don't do something. She prepares a basket and puts him in the Nile River. Now, all mothers should deliver their babies into the, into the hand of providence. But she literally had to do this. She takes the baby and she places him in the Nile, realizing that God has to do something beyond this. 
She, she had about as much hope for that baby to survive as Abraham did when Isaac was on the altar. About the same amount. Now, scientists will tell you one of the most difficult things to predict is the flow of running water. Very, very difficult. There are, there are all kinds of variables that can affect the flow of running water. Moses' path through the river on that little basket could be affected by rocks in the river that you could not see, floating branches, and even crocodiles. The Nile, you know, full of crocodiles. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. I, I took a river rafting trip on the Rio Grande one time, and there was a big rock in the middle. It was supposed to be like a number three rapids was the, the biggest, but there had been a lot of rain that year, a lot of snow and rain, and it was humming. This river was humming. And there was a rock down river that we came to, and uh, the, the guide told us, you have to do something completely counterintuitive. When you hit that spot, you have to start paddling as fast as you can. If you don't, we could get sucked into the hole, and then you have to swim down to get out of the hole, not try to swim up, because if you do, then you're going to be drowned. And so that, that, when, I, when I thought about this little baby being placed in the Nile River on a, in a basket, I thought about that river that I rode the raft on and how the rocks and the different things are turning and twisting. Anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> you don't know. When the mom laid the baby, Moses, in the river, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So his sister standing back, remember, she could live. She's, she's a girl. The only hope Moses' mother had at this moment was to trust the invisible hand of God who made the river and governed its ebb and flow. At this moment, the only eyes that were on Moses were the eyes of his sister and the eyes of God, his sister who could do nothing, and the eyes of God who is in control. Then someone else gets into the picture. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. It just happens that the little watercraft, the homemade watercraft, floats toward the part of the river where... Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. It caught her eye. We aren't told how the little craft caught her eye. The Nile is a big river. We're not quite sure. Maybe he was crying. We're not told that he was crying. But we know that when she opened the basket, Moses was crying. So we're not quite sure about that. It could have been the the cry that drew her attention in the first place. And I, I read this week, If this is a coincidence, it's one of the most remarkable coincidences in the history of all time. It's it's very remarkable if it's a coincidence. In any case, the young lady had compassion on the baby. She makes arrangements to take care of it. If she would have obeyed her father and his edict, uh, she would have thrown the baby back into the river. She would have tipped the basket over, thrown the baby back in. The story would be over. But we know the story's not over. There are movies made about this story. (laughs) You know, The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, the animated animated feature that just came out. Next Saturday night on ABC, they're going to show the Ten Commandments. 
Moses is the main guy in that story. <laughs> you know, so we know that it goes on. Um, we know that she doesn't throw the baby at back, but this is what happens. Then his sister asks Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women? The sister thinks fast. She sees this whole thing happening. She thinks very fast. Should I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So now the mom's taking care of the baby and getting paid for it. That's a pretty good gig. Not a bad deal. <laughs> so the woman took the baby and nursed him. Now, I've been in a few situations in my life where I didn't have time to process anything. I just had to act. I just had to react or act or respond or whatever it was. And God was guiding the action that I took. He was helping me. That's what's happening with the little sister, or with his older sister, obviously older sister. When the child grew older, it says, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That's what Moses means, drawn out of the water. That's, that's what the name means. So th this is an amazing story, but it's interesting he gets, he gets placed in the Nile, and he's floating along, and he ends up just where he needed to be so that God could grow him up in a way to fulfill his purpose in the nation of Israel. Growing up in Pharaoh's household prepared Moses for God's purpose. Stephen mentions Moses. Stephen was the first martyr in Acts 7, the first martyr in the Christian church. He mentions Moses, and he says he was educated in all the wisdom of, Egypt, of the Egyptians. He was powerful in speech and action. See, floating on the Nile in that little basket put him in the exact place, the unique place to negotiate with Pharaoh over the release of the Israelite people when the time came. Because he was known by the ruler. He had the right instincts and the right reflexes to walk into the palace and speak to the Pharaoh. To speak. He, he, that was familiar to him. This was no accident. It gave him a unique uh, background for governing the nation of Israel because by the time they came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness, that was two and a half to three million people he was leading through the wilderness. So the, the education that he received, the wisdom of Egypt, the understanding of how they organized their government really helped him as he was leading this people to the land God had promised to give them. They, they had grown from 70, 70 people when they, when they came to Egypt to two and a half to three million. This is why Pharaoh was so threatened. He, and this was, these people were, this was, they could turn any moment. Now here's the major lesson to take away from Moses' birth and upbringing. We can trust God to work out the details to fulfill his purpose for us. He is completely trustworthy. This story brings up a lot of what ifs. What if Moses, the baby, had been discovered in the first three months? What if the ark sank? What if Pharaoh's daughter hadn't been there? What if? We all have moments in our lives 
that we look back and we think, whew, I'm glad that that came together. That was a close call. It's at times like this that we need to bow and thank God for his providence, that he's in control, that he's guiding, that he, he is watching and he sees the end from the beginning. Psalm 139, 1 through 6 and then 13 through 16. I'd like to just read it. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to, under, to, to attain. It's, it's hard to grasp. How is this? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The game of what if involves contingencies. Things that could or could not occur. From God's vantage point, nothing happens contingently. There are no what ifs. God's knowledge extends to the smallest details. He knows all possible contingencies, what we will say, what we could say, and what we're not going to say. There is nothing contingent about his knowledge. That's hard to get our mind around. It's, it's reasonable. There are answers to that. It's reasonable, but, but it's, and it's true. We look at Moses' story and ask, what if the baby hadn't cried? What if he hadn't gotten the attention of the princess? There are no what-ifs with God. None whatsoever. His providence is in the details. My mentor says, you pick up a rock and you throw it and it lands in place. Does that like boggle your mind? (laughs) You pick up a rock and you throw it and it lands exactly where God wants it to be. Now, how does he do that? I can decide. I can decide to pick this speaker up and move it. And it's right where he wants it. How, how How does that work? He gives us the freedom to choose. But in the context of our freedom, he's working out his purpose. He's, he's watching. He sees the end from the beginning. So this means, instead of sweating the small stuff, instead of sweating it, trust God to work out the details of his purpose. We need to be diligent. We need to pay attention to the details, no doubt. But we all hit the limit of our ability to pull the details and the loose ends together. We're going to hit the wall. So we need to trust God to work out the details To do this, I must trust him with the details of my future. Put put your confidence in God to provide and fulfill his purpose for your life. There are no contingencies with him, no what ifs. Don't put your confidence in powerful people or in your own ability to make it happen. We we talk about self-made people. 
today. No one has made themselves. No one. <laughs> there are no self-made people. That's a myth. I mean, we're, we're, we're born and we grow up and we need other people to make it in life. Don't put your confidence in yourself to make it happen. Don't put your confidence in other people, either powerful people or people that are close to you, anybody that you think can help you make it in life with the, with the things that you're going through. Scripture warns against this over and over again. Psalm 146 says, Do not put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. God is the only one who is eternal and who can, who can guide what's going on in your life and mine. Instead of sweating the small stuff, I should trust God to work out the details for my family and friends. Trust God with the people you're responsible for and you care about. If you're a parent, with your kids. If, if you're a boss, with your employees. Whoever, whoever you're responsible for. If you're a leader of a ministry, with people you're leading in ministry. Trust God with the people you're responsible for and care about. Like Moses' mother, you have to let them go. If you don't trust God with the people around you and you're responsible for, then you try to manipulate people to do what you think they should do in order for them to be okay or just because you want them to do something and it will make you feel better. You can't do this. You cannot ultimately manipulate people. You can't do this. You can try, but it won't work, so stop. Just stop. Stop it. God is in control, but he refuses to manipulate you and I. He, he will not do it. So we pray and we trust him to work things out for his purpose in the lives of those close to us. There is always a space that exists when we try to help other people. We must respect it. A space we must give them because God gives that space to them. We have to give them the space to make their own choice. As we pray, we can trust God to be working in that space but he will, not, he will not manipulate. We can trust him to fulfill his purpose as people turn to him and cooperate with him. He will work out the details. So instead of sweating the small stuff, trust God with the people around us. Trust God to work out the details of his purpose in whatever I can't control. If, I, if I'm going to trust him, this is what I need to do. Live as though the circumstances of your day and your life are flowing from the hand of God because they are. Soul Surfer was about a shark attack on Bethany Hamilton. God could have stopped this, the shark. He could have. He's, he's powerful enough to stop it. Why didn't he? Well, he has reasons. There are reasons. I think Scripture gives us the best explanation for those reasons there are. But God, in the middle of it, when, when things seem out of control, he's working through the things that we experience. Our circumstances have passed through the hands of God. We have to remember this. Since that is the case, he has a purpose in them no matter how terrible or irritating or frustrating or worrisome. You can't control the flow of your day but you can know that 
that God is working in it. He's going to work out the details for his purpose. And then finally, thank God that he has a greater purpose in your circumstances. We all go through the ups and downs of life, the, the, the tough things and the easy things. We all go through these things. But thank God that he is in the details and he has arranged things in your life to put you where you are. Honor him. Thank him for his providence. Recognize it. If we can appreciate and surrender to God's rule in our lives, then our happiness won't be circumstantial. But it will be grounded in the one who is in control and whom we can trust to work all things out. We won't become bitter and frustrated with God. Relationships will grow and be more enjoyable as we refuse to manipulate or as we cease to be driven with the idea that we have to make things happen for us. People who are driven tend to run over the people around them on their way to where they're going because they've got to make it happen. I've just got to make it happen. Instead, trust God. God to get you where you should be. He, he, he will do that. Life will make more sense than it does if you trust God to do that. It, it make, it'll make more sense than when we try to control the things that are outside of our control. We, we will more quickly get past our frustrations and worries and irritations to do what we can to contribute to the circumstance in front of us, to the situation, and be productive. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few moments. Um, I'd like to ask you to take out your connection card, the connection card in your program, if you would, and look at some next steps that we could take as a result. I've given some suggestions. God may have spoken to you and wants you to take another step uh, that you've thought of yourself. But here are some suggestions. Uh, my next step is to read Exodus 1 through 6 and write down the lessons learned. Amazing story beginning of Moses' life, and those are the chapters that talk about his preparation. First 40 years in Egypt, next 40 years in, in exile because of some things he, done, he had done, uh, and how God used all of that to prepare him for the role that he was to play in the nation of Israel's life, history. Um, so that's a step you could take, read those chapters. Another step would be to trust God with the details of, and you fill in the blank. Maybe there's something that, that's going on in your life right now, uh, and you're, you're, you're just running all the scenarios. What if, what if, what if, what if? Trust that to God. Give it to God. Trust him with it. Trust him with the details of you fill in the blank. And then finally... Uh, my next step is to invite my family and friends to Easter next week. It's not an accident that you are in your circle of family and friends. God's arranged that detail as well. No, no accident. God puts you right where you are. That's where he wants you to be. And a real way to help, rather than manipulate, a real way, way to help your family and friends is to invite them to, to come hear about God, what he's done. And, and how uh, he, he can really help them uh, as they connect with him and begin to, to know him. So that's, that's another step you could take as well. There, there may be others that you've thought of. Would, would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word and for the help that you give. 
to, to follow through and take these steps that you've laid on our heart. God, I ask that uh, you would remind us that you're in control, that we can trust you, and give us the power to, to, to leave things with you and just entrust them to you, God. Help us with this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.